Hello, and welcome to another episode of What's the Chai with your host, Summer Harun, licensed marital and family therapist. I know it's been a minute since I um, released an episode, but what can I say? Life sometimes happens, but I'm back with a really, really, really exciting episode with two amazing guests. Um, today in the makeshift What's the Chai studio, we have Rabia Bauer and Deepa Patel, co-founders of the Facebook group South Asian Women in Interracial Relationships. Um, Rabia, alongside being the co-founder of the group, has also curated a book Instagram, Bookstagram, BT Books, which highlights children books with strong black and brown characters. These are the types of books that she wishes she had growing up and loves sharing it uh, with her own daughter. Um, Rabia is an... Uh, dietitian by profession and loves sharing the joyous connection between food and culture and believes that all foods should fit. Rabia promotes intuitive eating and loves dark chocolate and her nani's dal. I know I said dark chocolate in a weird way, but anyways, we'll roll with it. Um, In her free time, she loves to do online window shopping, spontaneous dance parties with her daughter, and also reading young adult literature. She has two Instagrams. Uh, One is Rabia Bauer uh rd and Beatty books which is b-e-t-i books and again all links will be listed in the description of this episode now the other co-founder of sawir uh, is going to be deepa patel uh who is a non-profit administrator living in minneapolis by day and also the co-founder like i said of the group um she's been with her husband for 10 years and they have two dogs their fur babies charlie and eve she also has a food instagram called called deliciously deepa that she started to motivate herself to learn how to cook some of the indian food that she really likes she loves to hang out with her friends and um has perfected the art of binge watching tv deepa is also a proud millennial hufflepuff uh, hufflepuff sorry it's not that i'm discriminating because i'm a gryffindor but it just slip of the tongue. Uh, I embrace my stutter on these episodes. Anyways, without further ado, a welcome, Rabia and Deepa. That was a jab at my Gen Z cousins by calling myself a millennial Hufflepuff. Really? Do, you, do they Have they started giving you hate about the side part yet and the skinny yeah. jeans? They said skinny jeans are never going out of style, so I was like, thank you, because they shouldn't. I know, high-waisted <laughs> jeans all the way. I mean, who's coming after us with all these, like, loose clothings and, like, going after our side parts like what did we ever do to anyone right I I got this haircut with the side part like I can't even do a middle part if I wanted to because my hair is going to be different layers see what the middle part looks like (laughs) my god I don't even think I can maybe it'll be really edgy you know according to the children it's just like it's not the right it's two different lives like it just doesn't so 90s as soon as you middle parted it it was immediately 90s which i lived through i don't need to go back to the 90s i lived i barely survived (laughs) i'm I'm happily in 2021 so ladies again thank you for joining me on the podcast and taking out the time to do this i wanted to talk about your personal journeys and how the creation of this group came to be Viva, why don't you start? Because it was your picture that that kicked off everything. Okay. I always forget that. Um, yeah. So what happened was about three, no, it was two years ago. Um, it was my third wedding anniversary. And I had recently that earlier that year been added to Little Brown Diary. Mm-hmm. And I remember being added to the group of being like, holy shit. I found my people. Sorry if I'm not allowed to curse, by the way. You might oh, want to tell curse. me. Oh, please, we can curse okay. on this. Okay. Okay, good. 
Um, so I was like, holy shit, I found all my people. Like, it was just, I felt like I'd suddenly connected to a whole new level of like busy, you know, brown girls. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like these people understand me in a way that I never felt understood before because I didn't, I didn't connect to like the global based like girl community. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I just was feeling good. And I was like, I'm going to post a picture of my husband from our holy ceremony at our wedding, just being like, I am really like happy that I get to like celebrate three years with him. And he's really integrated into my family and he makes better chai than I do. And he also learned how to cook some dishes before I did because oh, he took wow. And I just like posted it just to kind of be a little bit like celebratory about it, not really thinking much. And I was like, if you're in an interracial relationship, like say hello or drop a picture or something. I'd love to see it. And then we got thousands of comments and likes, not we, I guess, I guess me and my husband, but I'm already including Rabia in this. Like we got thousands of comments and likes. And I think Rabia is one of the first people who had commented and she posted a picture of her family. And then after a while, she's like, do you want to like start a group? Um, so, yeah, my big thing was I was looking for a support space. Like, you know, for a long time, there have been Blasian and Blindian and other, you know, support groups for mixed relationships. And at least I couldn't find anything that was South Asian women with people in other race relationships. And so when I saw Deepa's picture, I was like, yeah, I'm not alone because sometimes I felt very alone. I mean, since the group I has started, I found more South Asian women in interracial and interfaith relationships, even locally. Mm-hmm. but I messaged her like the crazy person I am. And I was like, let's do this. Like, let's start a group. No, I don't know you. No, I've never talked to you, but like, you're awesome. Cause you put this picture up. Oh, wait, um, you guys ever met in person? Nope. No, <laughs> we, when, we, when we talked on zoom last week to plan this, that's the first time Rabia and I have ever been live with one another. Like, we text each other. We message each yeah. other. Like, I mean, I consider Deepa a friend. I hope she considers yes, me a friend. Yes, I definitely like, do. We yeah, never, we literally never conversed in person. Yeah, amazing. Um, but yeah, so that's how we started it. I was like, if you co-admin with me, I'll do it. And we did it, and we put some graphics up and a short description, and then it, it just, was. It was sorry. It was. Will you co-admin with me? And me being like, eh, I'm okay. <laughs> and then like reviewing like, it. Debt in the beginning. I see you. I see. I you. was. I was just, I didn't know, I'd never done anything like that. And I just didn't know. And then I was like, you know, if you need some help, I don't mind helping you, but I don't know if I want to be in charge. And then like, I saw her doing it. And then I found myself like throughout the day, like thinking about like, oh, we could do this and we could do that. And I started being an admin in my head without realizing it. And then I was like, Rabia, I'm in. Like, I'm going to be mad if I don't get in on this on the ground floor. And then it like becomes a thing. And I'll be like, oh, I had the opportunity. <laughs> so I would have loved to do at any point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it took some convincing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that that group's only been around for two years because there's so much engagement and so much growth that I've seen even when I joined the group, which was around, um, I think during the start of the pandemic, because I was trying to look for resources to give my own clients, because I specialize working with um, interracial couples and they were like, I don't know anyone who's going through what I'm going through. And I was like, let me try to go and find some support groups. And there are no therapy support groups for interracial relationships that I could find that were more geared towards South Asian women. But I found your group and I was like, 
damn, these are all the questions that come up in session. These are all the anxieties. And it's kind of like a repetitive world. It's like, how do I do this? Does anybody else have this? Like, I didn't even know that this was possible because, you know, the only example I have is Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas. And I don't know how to <laughs> that is. I joked that she was trying to copy my life because oh. she married a guy who was younger than her. Um, I was like, wow, Priyanka. Okay. She's coming after you. Right? It's a slight for sure. But I'm really interested in um, your personal stories as well. Because when you say that you are also looking for this space, I want to kind of understand where that comes from. Because both of you are an interracial relationship. Yeah. So, so my big thing was um, I love my husband. He's a great guy. He's a white American. He calls himself a hillbilly. And just finding people to like miserate or like understand what it was like to, to marry into a family that had a hard time acknowledging their white privilege and had a hard time having a child that was half Indian. Like there was just complications and, and misunderstandings. And my mom couldn't help me through that, right? She married into an Indian family. And I just didn't know a ton of people personally who were dealing with those complications but I knew they existed I just had to find them and how did your story start with your husband Rabia if you want to go first um okay <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is I like to give the precursor that my story is so unconventional and I don't recommend people taking these steps but um you know I was young I was single I was living in the city I was dating secretly my parents were in denial about me dating um and I met my husband through work and we started dating. Um, and within six months of us dating, uh, we found out that I was pregnant and that was not part of the plan at all. Mm -hmm. Um, my parents didn't even really know he existed. And at a certain point I had to be like, I am having a baby with this man that you've never met. So that was not fun. Um, I was also in uh, like a residency type program for dietitians. So my internship, so like the added stress of, of school and also living separately from him. So he was here in Philadelphia, you know, working. I was living in a dorm while I was pregnant, which I don't recommend. But if that happens to you, I can talk you through it. Um, and two weeks after I finished my hours, I delivered. So our process was super sped up, right? Because baby was coming. Um in essentially nine months once I found out and we had like a little courthouse wedding. We had a friend who is an online reverend signed our marriage license. We did a meet the bride slash engagement party with his family. Cause so much of his family didn't know who I was either. We were only dating six months. The one advantage is I think the long process some women go through of, you know, having their families warm up to their significant other and kind of gradually introduce that person to their family uh, we did that in less than 10 months. My mom did come to my baby shower. So I, you know, at some point I had a baby shower and she was there as well as my in-laws. So it went by quickly. Um, but the stress was also compounded as well. I mean, I'm curious, like, would you classify your family as like a traditional Indian family? Like, was there like a lot of shock that went through that you have to maybe do like damage control? I mean, so much shock, you know, I had had other family members marry outside of the race or marry outside of the religion, but it was very like, oh, that's one off. You won't do that. Right. And I was on the marriage market with my community. Like, you know, even while I was dating my husband, I was fending off these like emails or phone calls or whatever that my mom was like, you should meet this nice brown boy. And I was like, I'm just, I would talk to them, but I was never interested. And, and 
in their defense, was already dating someone else. So it wasn't entirely them. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was a huge shock. My parents were totally floored. Um, I was never like a good Indian girl, but kept up, I think, enough of the facade for them to believe that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think for them, it was the ultimate betrayal that not only was I unmarried, but now I was pregnant with someone they didn't know who was also white. Like, I think for them, they were like, life can't possibly get worse. But, you know, I know that isn't the worst thing to happen in someone's life to have a baby out of wedlock with a white man. I mean, if you look at us now, my husband and I, our family, I think we just look like a normal family. You wouldn't know we had these almost traumatic beginnings. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have a question for you, Rabia, because I don't think I've ever heard this whole story myself. Um, Do you think that having, like, being pregnant encouraged your parents to accept your husband faster? Because they're like, well, you're pregnant, and they're not going to force you to marry anybody else. So it's kind of like, they're like, okay, well, now we, this is going to be our family. So let's accept him. My parents took totally different approaches. I think that that worked for my mom. And so my mom would always joke like, oh, I want grandkids. And I'd be like, hey, mom, you don't have to be married for me to have a baby. Right. And she'd be like, oh, my God, shameful. How dare you say that? But then that's ultimately what happened. Um, So I think the idea that a baby was coming really pushed her to be like, all right, like it's it's happening. Right. And me visibly becoming pregnant and becoming larger. And, And my mom struggled in the beginning, but she did really support me by the end. You know, she was there when I delivered. I actually stayed with her for probably close to a month without my husband right after I delivered because he was still working full time and didn't get paternity leave. Um, And I wanted to be with my mom who like fed me and and took care of the baby with me. Right. So I think it did push my mom. I think for my dad, it actually made it harder because to your point, Diva, like there was no going back. The baby is here Mm -hmm. um, and she exists. And, you know, for some genetic reasons, it was very, very clear who her father was. They both have ears that stick out like a lot. So not that I had any doubt who the father was, but I told my husband, I was like, this is proof she's yours. She's got this weird sticky out of ear like you do. Right. Um, but I think my dad struggled a lot more than my mom. And, and there, you know, was times where we were not speaking at all. He just wanted nothing to do with me. Um, and that's part of my journey. Oh, that's, that's a lot. And you know, you have a beautiful family right now and you guys are still like going strong. You have this awesome sort of even platform where you're encouraging, you know, these books that cater towards inclusivity. So there's more like identification for your daughter to look towards. I think that's beautiful. One thing I am curious about, and this might be a little explicit and depending on how this goes, I might either edit, keep it in or edit it out, right? This would be a very extreme situation and circumstance where parents would, in the traditional sense and what we've seen, what we've seen from the group is like grounds to disown you, right? And like, this is in like, from what I've seen in a South Asian household, this is as bad as it gets. Like, it's not even that you're in a relationship, it's like you're pregnant. Did that, was that like a conversation that was in the talks or like that blatant kind of, we don't want nothing to do with you? And this might be the explicit part where it's like, was an abortion ever talked about? That your daughter's there and she's gorgeous and everything, but I just want to know the full circle of it. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So I went to therapy after I told my parents and the therapist was like, your parents are going to decide what's more important, their relationship with you or their standing in the community. And the thing is, regardless of what they chose, like people in the community found, I didn't stop. I mean, I stopped going to mosque for that year, but I didn't stop going entirely. I still had a social media presence, like the gossiping aunties, if they wanted to find me, it was not hard. I was there, you know, and my mom, 
again, they were both shocked. My mom ultimately decided to be supportive and be there. But like I said, my dad, I don't know if he ever came out and was like, I'm disowning you. Like, I'm sure maybe that was thrown around at some point because it had been thrown around previously for other issues, um, but didn't talk to me until my daughter was almost one, you know, just oh, couldn't wow. bring himself to terms to that. But my extended family, including his side of the family, knew I was pregnant, knew I had a baby. And like, I think I've just kind of always been like, here I am an open book, right? Take it or leave it. I love my family, but if they don't want to deal with me, like that's their loss, not mine. Is, is I think kind of how I've always looked at it. And abortion came up in the medical sense. So, you know, I'm very clear about, I support a person's right to choose whether they want to have a baby or not. I know for me personally, that just wasn't an option. Like that's not yeah. what I was going to do. Yeah. But I also have um, type one diabetes. So an unplanned pregnancy just adds a whole nother layer of complications. So it was brought up in that sense that, you know, you're, you're not going to survive this. You weren't planning on having this baby, but I was like, no, it's fine. I have access to medical care. Like my husband and I knew exactly what we did to get into the situation. So we are going to see it through. And I'm happy to report, you know, I went through that pregnancy with minor complications, nothing unusual. Um, my daughter was born full term and healthy, which is not something everybody can say, but it, it was brought up kind of couched in that medical concern. But I, I have to think there was a little bit of, well, if she does this, then it's no longer a problem, right? Like if I were to get the abortion, then this is no longer an issue. We can pretend it never happened. But I was never willing to do that personally. And I do want to touch on that strength a little bit more of like standing your ground. But Diva, I want to hear your story as well. I want to get into the nitty gritty of how um, your man's. Less dramatic. Less dramatic. <laughs> I love Robbie. No, I love your. I I don't think I've ever fully heard your story. So I'm Just really a drama llama over here. <laughs> no, ju no judgment like that. Like you to just like that had that takes a very strong person to go through that journey. Just to, it takes a strong person to go through and fight for an interracial relationship, but then to have like an unplanned pregnancy at the very beginning of it, even like six months into dating anyone and finding out you're pregnant, like that's stressful. So just kudos to you, Rabia. Like that's amazing. Your family's beautiful. Your daughter is beautiful. Like I adore it. Goal, all of it. End goals. Maybe not be end goal. Yes. <laughs> Depending on who you are. So I met my husband through mutual friends. I had recently become friends with, I don't know, like you just become friends with people. And I me and a friend of mine invited this guy to my house to have like a little party because she was into him. And I was like, okay, well, if you're into him, we'll invite him to our house and we'll tell him to bring a couple friends mm -hmm. and, you know, we can all like mingle. Um, and so uh, that's where I met my husband. He came like as a friend of a friend to this party at my house um, when my parents were out of town. Oh my God, how old were you? This is like we, were, we were 20. Like, it was fine. Like, we weren't that young. But it was also like, you know, growing up in a brown household, you have to sneak a lot. So um, my parents were out of town. And so he, you know, like, we just had this little party and that's where I met him for the first time. Um, and then we ended up deciding to date, like, within a month of meeting each other. And what was crazy about it at the time is that I had already been accepted into a study abroad program um, 
for the semester. So I was getting ready to leave to go to London for three months. And I met him and we really liked each other and we hit it off. And he asked me to like be his girlfriend on a little like note that said circle yes or no because we were like making fun of a little elementary school thing. Um, So we officially started dating four or five days before I left to go hang out on the other side of the world for three months. So the first three months of our relationship was just emails and like Facebook chat. We used AIM a couple times because AIM was still a thing. AOL Instant Messenger for you youngins who don't know. Um, So, and then, um, yeah, I came back and I was in college when I came back and then we were still living an hour apart from each other because I was in school and that's kind of how it went. But my parents found out about him very early on. They actually, so I blocked my family from seeing anything about us on social media because I knew that with me being gone we were gonna interact on social media a lot mm-hmm. and I just didn't I was not about to tell my parents anything my I had never dated anyone by the way he is my first boyfriend oh, um so I didn't have a reason to hide anything from my parents but from the way my parents had reacted to guys that I had been really good friends with I just knew that they wouldn't be happy about it can you tell um, me also like how had they re- reacted to you just having guy friends they like I had close guy friends and they're like Deepa, you know if you're dating this person you need to let us know and like oh like you know maybe like that may not be the right person for you like they didn't freak out freak out but they were always like discouraging it sort of and I was always like God, like that's so and so I've known him forever like we're just friends dad and he's like well you don't know he might have more feelings for you and you shouldn't be leaving him on because you're not going to date him anyways and I was like I'm not leaving him on dad <laughs> so that was our conversation about boys usually like I was like don't worry no one is trying to you guys into Deepa you need to stop leading these men on because you know they're not your type it's just unfair to them it's like I was like no and but it also wasn't a secret in my household that I like never limited myself to Indian guys or anything because my parents talked about marriage a lot growing up like my looming future marriage was always in a topic of conversation especially when I got to high school and like they always knew that I wasn't the most traditional person and I wasn't going to do the most traditional like arranged marriage sort of thing like I just spoken out about that enough and they just knew me as a person that they knew it wasn't so they was kind of but they hoped that I would meet like an Indian guy or they would introduce me to the friend of a friend or something and it would work out in that sort of way um so but the reason they found out about my husband was because when I was in London I became really good friends with a guy who happened to be gay and he was a very affectionate person, my friend. So we would always have a lot of pictures of us hugging and holding hands and being really close and like, you know, being friends. And um, my cousin, I think, assumed that I was dating my friend. So my cousin, when they were all, my family was all together, they're like, she was like, oh, is Deepa dating somebody? And he said, yes, because my brother did not think. And he said, yes. And later, I didn't figure this out until like years later, but I was like, there's no way she would have known. And I realized she thought my gay friend was my boyfriend. Um, 
So I didn't know about any of this until the end of my study abroad. I went to meet my parents in India before I came back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who went to India with me. And just like the second morning, we were all together eating breakfast. My dad goes, so what about your boyfriend? Out of nowhere. And I died. I died inside. (laughs) And like me and my friends look at each other. And she's not Indian. And she, we just like, kind of like, we're like, I was like, what? And he was like, so we know, we know about your boyfriend. I was like, okay. Oh, all right. Like, and he's like, you have to break up with him. And that's like the second or third thing out of his mouth. I was like, no. Just immediately. It was like, no, he's like, you can't be dating anyone. No. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And you don't even know him. Then my friend starts chiming in about like details about my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> and I'm like trying to kick her underneath the table to get her to stop talking. <laughs> it was like a whole thing. It was like ridiculous. I was like, you need to stop because the more information you give them, the worse this is going to get. Like that is just a, it's just, we just need to end this conversation. And then it, my mom was just like, shh, I'm listening talk about this because we were like at a hotel having breakfast mm-hmm. and she was like this is not the time <laughs> so that ended it right there and then um I came back to the U.S. and my parents suddenly like started calling me on weekends and wanting to know where I was more often and like just being more inquisitive and stuff but anyways they finally decided to meet him at my graduation and it was their idea. Um, and I remember we went and bought him like a nice shirt and everything. And my husband has tattoos a lot. He has a full sleeve and almost a full sleeve on his other arm. And he has a neck tattoo and like a bunch of other tattoos. So I made him wear a full sleeve black button down shirt in the in May for my graduation. He was dying. He was sweating to death, but I was like, we can't let them see because it's just going to make it work. Wow. I'm actually a little bit, I, so what went through your mind when you kind of made this decision that they're kind of, you know, really skeptical of this guy, but I'm still going to invite him to like my graduation and whatnot. Well, I, I wanted him to be at my graduation because none of my friends could be there. Um, So I was like, I want someone there. And like, I knew my parents were going to be there. Um, or they were going to come and it was their idea to have them meet. I think I would have just had my, uh, boyfriend go back to like my apartment or something, or just, you know, just hang out elsewhere. But it was, my parents came up with the idea to meet like weeks beforehand. Um, and my dad was like, okay, well, if if he's going to be there, then, you know, let's go get lunch or something. So we planned a lunch, um, which I recommend, uh, always meeting parents for the first time in a public space. (laughs) <laughs> it just makes everyone more polite. <laughs> and it it went well. I remember taking a picture that day and being like proof that the day went well and posting it on Facebook as proof that the day went well. Um, yeah, after that, he started kind of coming around the house a little bit more. And I started like hanging out at his place more. And my they weren't always happy about that. Um and but they didn't ever really like stop me mm-hmm. at that point. Um, 
they never, there was like a time when my dad like came to his apartment and he was like, you shouldn't be hanging around here so much. Like people will talk or, you know, people will find out, you know, like, yeah, always worried about what other people are thinking. But there was like drama in the beginning of like, oh, like, like I should have sent you to India to be raised because like you didn't grow up with the values that I thought you grew up with. And where did we go wrong? And like all of these, you know, things and dramatic moments. But after the first like, but that was in the very beginning. Um, after I would say the first six months to a year, like they just... I think it, it feels like they gave up. <laughs> They're just like, fine. She's going to do what she wants to do. See, but I think and that's the I, one, that's the one commonality. Like I know my parents very much thought like, where do we go wrong? How could she like, how could yeah. she do this to us? But also it's our fault because we didn't raise her right. And it was like, no, you just, you came to America for a reason. I grew up American, whether you want to admit that or not. Like I was born in the States. I'm sure you were too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that how different our stories were, that commonality between our parents, that we didn't instill the right values in her. But like, I'm a good person and you're a good person. Like we have values. And it's like you know? really defining that the values did not set in. Like, how is that any sort of like, I don't know, like a baseline to define who's good or who's not or who has value? You know, yeah. like, is value just obedience? It's, is it staying within your culture? Like, what did you do wrong exactly? Ex- I mean, that was a big thing for me, too. I was like, I have never dated before. I have never, like, snuck around and, like, you know, I've not been that girl. Like, I wasn't perfect ever, you know? And, like, but I never, like, Compared to things that my brother did in high school, I was a freaking angel. My brother, like, not to out him, but, like, literally did things that could have gotten him arrested and, like, put in prison. And I didn't. Like, legit didn't. And I was like, why is this so much worse than anything he ever could have done? Um, And that's what it felt like at the time. Did your parents ever answer that question? Like, what about him and the things that he's he's done versus me just falling in love for someone who's just a person? I don't think I ever, I don't remember ever asking that question. And I normally would, but I don't, if I did, I don't remember it. Um, We can make a part two to this podcast just to like, just what did Deepa's parents say to why her brother didn't get in trouble (laughs) and she did? Well, so then- it, very similarly, I have a younger brother who went to prom, which I had to fight to go to, dated white women, raised younger than I am. So again, a very similar experience. But my parents are, they've been very open about when they have a favorite child and it is totally dependent on who is pissing them off less. So in that moment, I had fallen off the favorite child pedestal, obviously. Um, and my brother maintained that title for a very long time. Got it. <laughs> got it so I think in these sort of situations when we go through you know Deepa your life and Rabia your life there's a lot that happened right there's a lot of kind of invalidation of your relationships kind of questioning the kind of person that you are and like what does that do to you and actually Deepa we weren't like completely done with your conversation too like how was the final acceptance happened to the point where you guys actually got married too I think my parents like I said just accepted the fact that I wasn't changing my mind 
-hmm. not always, but I decided very early on that if my parents were going to disown me over this, then that was their choice and I did nothing wrong. Yeah. And it reflects more on them than it does on me if they choose to refuse me as a daughter over this. So I made a very kind, I remember talking to a friend of mine, um, a brown girl friend of mine, and she was like, would you like leave Austin if your parents said they were going to disown you? And I said, no, like, even if we don't end up together, even if he isn't the love of my life, like that's bullshit. If you're going to leave me over, like leave, like lose your child over this. So, um, that was always my mentality. And I think I never straight up said that to my parents, but I'm sure they sensed it in some way. Um, they never ever took it to that extreme. Um, and I think they're softies at heart. They're probably trying to act tough, but they're just softies really, especially my dad. Um, so he just started hanging around more And then my dad had like an opening at his business and he asked if like Austin wanted it because I've kind of had been hinting a little bit that maybe he would be open to the idea of working with my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, So then he started working with my dad, which was also working with my mom because my mom works there too. um, because my dad owns the business. so he was around my parents more than I was because I was still in school and I was living a ways. And then after a while of working with my dad, he started living with my parents because he was driving like he lived in a town that was like 30 minutes south of theirs. So he started my parents were like, just stay in Deepa's room like while she's gone. And so he started staying with my parents and when I would come on home on weekends, we would stay in the same room and it was, no one talked about it. No one acknowledged it, but everyone knew that it was existing. And even when we went to like my cousin's house one time, they were just like, go, like, that's your guys' room. I was like, what? <laughs> like, we weren't even engaged. <laughs> like, like, hey, you want a job? You'll work with us. Hey, you want to like do something else? You just want to live in Deepa's room while she's not here? And also, hey, when you just go back to your room too, like that's like, yeah, it, it's so, yeah, because when I hear these girls tell their stories about things that literally my parents did the exact same thing and did the exact same thing, and then in a couple of years, it was like they were new people, not necessarily, but they had just widened their horizons and like now it wasn't as big of a deal and like people like our community and my extended family knew about my relationship pretty early on Um, and they knew just I'm sure from talking to each other in different conversations so I never really tried to keep anything a big secret and I don't know if any of them kind of came down on my parents for it my parents never told me about it necessarily um they didn't really like put that on me um which I appreciate I I have I don't we still to this day haven't had like a conversation of if like how much hate they may have taken like on my behalf does it um, that people would have some sort of a hateful reaction towards your relationship no I have some family members that are very sort of set in their ways and they view anyone sort of outside of even their specific like they see community as outsiders 
and as sort of threats. I think it stems from maybe the way they were treated um, growing up in the U.S. I'm sure it stems from prejudice and racism that they experienced. You know, Deepa, this, so, reminds with you, yeah. but this reminds me of that time in Harry Potter. You know when Umbridge says, you know, you don't need to change for the sake of change. And it's all about like preservation and protect, uh, like preservation and perfecting tradition. That's always something that comes up for me whenever I hear like the basic community talking about a lack of acceptance of something being different. It's like you're umbrage because you just want to preserve yeah. tradition for the sake of preservation. And you don't think that there's a need for growth or something that looks different from what you've seen your entire life. But that's my take on it. But like, yeah. even think about how many traditions are just harmful in their own right. Like let's, let's remove another culture or another race entirely out of it. Like there's so many South Asian traditions that if you look into the meaning or the purpose, it's like, we're past this. Like we can, we can do better just as a community in general. Right. So to your point, you know, keeping these traditions just because isn't a good place to be at either. Yeah. That reminds me of the Kanyangan that's done, right? When the girl is taken from her family and given to the husband's family, like she's a commodity and a property. And what that, I mean, it's a tradition and it's been there for like years or like not even years, like centuries at this point. And mm-hmm. give or take. And it's been, it's been practiced so much, but what does that mean? And what does that instill in the women in our community that are they just com- commodities or properties to just be handed over from one side to another and they have no place or purpose of their yeah. own. Well, and that's one of the things, Deepa, I think, you know, I've talked about this, like the advantage of not having married a South Asian man. Like I don't have any of those good daughter-in-law expectations. Like I'm obviously kind to my in-laws and I sometimes enjoy spending time with them, but this <laughs> idea of, of having to serve them or defer to them or default to their preferences just doesn't come up because they don't believe that they don't think that. And, you know, my mom never felt like she was giving me away because it, it wasn't, there's just not that expectation there. Same. My parents. Um, so to conclude it all, we had a big, like my big fat Indian wedding. My parents invited like 600 people because I had to invite every person who had ever invited them to a wedding. Um, it was a whole thing. Um, and yeah, it was the same. It was very much like I, I did everything. I didn't question any of the traditions. And I feel like if I had looked into them deeper, I would have questioned them, but you know how your parents don't tell you why you do things. They're just like, it's because like, that's why you do it. And then you're like, fine. Um, so, but it was very much like I wasn't going anywhere. That they were gaining a son and they were gaining like a couple he has a very 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 small family like literally like two people he stays in contact with on a regular basis um and maybe like we had he had a total of four family members like biological family members like at our wedding um so it was very much like he was joining our family he my husband took my last name even because that oh, as his really? are you serious yeah mm-hmm. what was the thing behind that um we had I never wanted to lose my last I like the fact that the last two letters of my first name are the first two letters of my last name so I can combine it all into one name 
Okay. It's really convenient for email. It's a stupid reason to want to keep your name, but I just liked the way it flowed. Um, and so I had always planned on hyphenating it. And I was like, you could hyphenate with me. And he was like, sure, why not? Um, and then as I got closer to our wedding, he isn't close to his father. And his mother has passed away. And he considered taking, having both of us hyphenate with his mother's maiden name mm-hmm. um, because it was, because we're close to his grandmother. He had no connection to any other last name, really. And then he really liked, he felt like he was a part of my family. He felt that my parents had done more for him than perhaps his parents had done. So he just kind of decided that he was like, let's just be Patel. It's like, I want to be a like I want to be called Mr. Patel. Like he's like that would be cool. <laughs> and he, like, it's. I mean, what would that? You know, we're in a relationship where we were to marry someone who's within the South Asian community. Like, how do you think that conversation would go about even trying to like keep your maiden name, right? Because it's important to you. Do you think someone would be like, yeah, sure, I, I'm down for me to change my last name to your maiden name if it's important to you? Um, I would hope that it's like a legit conversation people are having these days. I mean, I come from a family of Patels who've married other Patels, mm-hmm. like almost exclusively. So it's, it's not even a topic of conversation that comes up most of the time. Um, but I, I feel like it's becoming a thing, like really? choosing which last name you're going with wow. or, you know, asking, I think husbands taking the last their wife's last name is less thought of but I think hyphenating and the wife keeping her last name is more common and I wish people would consider more that like you have two last names to choose from if you want the same last name it could be either one of yours like it doesn't just have to be his yeah that's awesome that's beautiful the way that you phrase that I mean in a way that it's, it's really refreshing like hearing both of your stories like the happy endings that have come out of it and even like getting the surprise you know guest starring for your family Rabia seeing you interact with them, like that's just beautiful as well and if you had the kind of group that you, both of you created what would that have done for you in the moments when you were going through these relationships one thing I share often um you know being a mom having a seven-year-old so after she was born, I became more interested in preserving my culture and learning about it, which is a huge surprise to me, my mom, my extended family. Like, I think when they found out I married a white guy, no one in my extended family was that surprised, you know, as shocked as my parents were. They were kind of like, we saw that one coming. But, you know, since she's been born, I want to instill in her a sense of pride in her culture and her heritage, which I... Not that I wasn't proud of my culture, but my parents were never purposeful about instilling that. So, you know, we do go to, she does go to madrasa. We go to mosque so much more often, you know, pre-COVID. Um, yeah. So she can learn about her religion. And we talk about the benefits of being brown. And one of the, the reason I bring that up is one of the questions that comes up often is, oh, my parents think I'm going to lose my culture when I marry someone outside mm-hmm. of it, right? Like I hear that all the time in the group. And I'm like, okay, but in my experience, I've actually kind of leaned into it more in order for her to be proud of the heritage she has. And, and, you know, my husband and I debate a lot about whether our daughter is white passing or not, not that it matters, but at the end of the day, she has a Muslim name and she has 
ethnic features like you just saw her she's like my little twin you know so and with the short hair you guys do look more alike yeah well so she still thinks it's cool to be like mommy and I'm just gonna ride that wave until at some point in her preteen years she tells me I'm like the least cool person she knows so (laughs) I'm gonna ride that out but you know it it was very surprising to me that I leaned into my culture and leaned into my heritage so much in order to preserve it and teach my daughter about it so I think that I I love sharing that with people because again, it's such a common concern among the women in our group, but you might just have the opposite experience like I did. So I feel like I 100% agree with that. That's super common. And I feel like anyone who is now in an interracial relationship will tell you the same thing. Like being in the relationship has taught them more because you're teaching somebody else, right? Yeah. And the best way to learn is by teaching mm-hmm. because you have to know what you're talking about. And what I felt very disconnected a long time from like the South Asian community and just what was going on in the culture and just pop culture and all of that in general. And then in the beginning of our relationship, it wasn't as big of a priority for me, but as I got older and as we got closer to marriage and different things, I was like, started my Instagram account. So I was like, I want to learn how to cook Indian food because my mom isn't as close as she was before. (laughs) So like, and my husband likes this food that he had when he lived with her, like she made this for him. Um, And he learned how to make some things too on his own. And um, he would be around my parents and he would they say something in Gujarati that he didn't understand. So he would come and ask me later and he would be like, well, how would I say this? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. Cause I'm terrible at Gujarati. Um, so it kind of forced me to learn. And he's like, can you please learn your language? So uh, oh you can teach me. He said that. <laughs> he's like, can you please learn your language? <laughs> learn how to cook your food. I've been spoiled by your mom at this point. <laughs> yeah. And so he's picked up on things and he really likes like using what he knows in front of my family. And he'll text my cousins like in Gujarati, like in English letters, but you know how you write? There has to be a word for that, right? you write in English letters, but in a different language? It's transliteration. So it's not translation, transliteration. Transliteration. Okay. Yeah. He does that with my cousins and they're like impressed. Um, So it becomes like a whole thing. Like you learn more about your own culture when you have to bring someone into it. And I mean, that can be with a romantic relationship or even just really good friends. Like it's just you're bringing someone into your life and teaching them about it and that's you're never going to lose your culture that way yeah well I don't know about in your family Deepa but like you know my mom jokes all the time like oh my son-in-law is king right like this this reverence that's given to son-in-law so my husband eats that up right like when we go to visit it's all about what food he wants to eat and what activities they want to do and I'm like hello I'm I'm your daughter I'm here right (laughs) but between my own daughter, their grandkid, and like my husband, I'm last on that list. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's funny. I think my, I think my husband actually feels like he's treated too much like their son now, because when there's other, like when my cousins have their husbands around, like they are treated like king, you know, like, oh, they're the son-in-law, like we have to cater to them. And he all of a sudden becomes like just another son to them. And so he has to do things for them to accommodate them as well and he's like when did this I'm a son-in-law too like 
gosh. Like, they forget that you... But what you mentioned earlier is that you guys don't have to do the opposite side of that large expectations when it comes to the in-laws side, right? Like, the South Mm -hmm. Asian in-laws and what that does for you, which is really interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that's... I think, for me, at least, it's very much, like, just gaining like a fun like kind of perspective in a different like world that they never knew about or experienced before there's no real like expectation of me having to do this or having to do that where I feel like it would be in an Indian family like I would have to perform almost all the time well and like you know it's such a theme in like the Indian melodramas right like I think about in my own family all the older women who had strained relationships with their mother-in-law. My own mom had a very, very difficult relationship um, with her mother-in-law, you know, my grandmother when she was alive. And it was one of those advantages I wasn't planning on. But like when my mother-in-law comes to visit, like I do get to sleep in and she makes herself breakfast. And like, there's no expectation that I have to be up early with a cup of chai for her. And, you know, when we, even when we go visit, it is actually time for my husband and I to relax or go on a date or you know just have time without our daughter because my mother-in-law so wants to spend time with our daughter and I'm I know there are brown mother-in-laws that want to spend time with the kids but there's literally zero expectations for me like as long as I'm a polite person which I can be right like she doesn't expect meals or me to cater to her to take her shopping or like she's just happy just hanging out you know yeah yeah there when is- my husband's grandmother comes to visit, we literally will spend hours watching TV because she doesn't have Netflix at her house because she does not understand the internet very well. Um, oh, wow. So she'll just like be like, oh, I like this show on Netflix. And then we'll watch it. And that's what we do. And then I make her dinner and she's like, oh my God, you're making dinner? Like, that's great. Like, she's happy. That's awesome though. I, I do want to like go a little bit back into like the group, even though I'm a little bit curious as to, you know, this dynamic within the toxicity that comes with South Asian, like it's, you're right, Rabia, you're right, Deepa, it's perpetuated in the media. It's perpetuated in the kind of threats we're given when you grow up, like, oh, you know, this won't fly when you get married. Like, this is not going to be acceptable. Like you can do this right now, but just be warned that after you get married, this is not something that you'll be able to do and there are going to be limitations or it's going to be unacceptable. You know, I mean, it says something about the community and what marriage is supposed to be and it's more palatable or not palatable, but more desirable when we're in these situations and we've seen what like our moms have gone through or someone in the extended family where it's like, I don't want a replication of this and that's why I want something different that might, you know, and I, and it's really difficult because in those times it's like, is Western culture and society better that we're gravitating towards that? Because there is a perpetuate this is happening in acculturated, assimilated, integrated um, Desi families in the United States. It's not that they're here and the cycle stops because they're not in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal. It's still happening. And I I wanted to know your two cents on that before we talk a little bit more about the group. I don't think it's like one culture is better than the other, but I think having grown up in America, right? Like I can straddle both cultures and I can see what problems are in South Asian culture and also recognize that there's absolutely problems in Western culture, right? Like one's not better than the other. Um, To your point, like I had seen a lot of women in my family that were older than me be in marriages that I'm like, you're not even happy. Like 
you know, and, and this idea that I actually in, in college did a whole report on like the benefit of arranged marriages and what advantages there are. And I think there's some worth in your family knows you and knows your values. And, you know, statistically speaking, people who have similar values have lower rates of divorce. And I'm talking like financial values, right? Not just moral ones. Um, and people who have similar backgrounds because they had more similar upbringings kind of have a, oftentimes have a more harmonious marriage. But with that being said, like, I love that my marriage is one of growth and learning. Like I learned so much from my husband. He learned so much from me. And if I had married someone that was so similar to me, like how much, how much learning would there have been? I'll never know that answer. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but just because you marry someone similar to you, again, doesn't mean those positive values or those positive traits are necessarily going to be taught. Um, another thing back in the group, people say like, oh, I want my kids to learn my language. Yeah. You know, they're not going to do that if I marry someone who doesn't speak the language. And I'm like, both my parents spoke the language and I still don't know it. Like people, we've talked about it. I speak Gujarati at like a three-year-old level. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, even though both my parents spoke it and spoke it at home, I still didn't pick it up. So there's no guarantee that, that having someone from the same culture as you is going to result in a more harmonious marriage or, a, you know, instilling those values that you think are so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just it's just a difference in cultural like expectations of marriage. Like the Western cultural expectation of marriage is very like romance based and very like loving and like partnership based. And then the kind of Eastern like South Asian expectation is just it's about family. It's about family above the individual couple. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's why the families are involved from the very beginning. And if the families get along, then the couple can, you know, move forward. And even after you're married, it's still very much about the family. I mean, people are moving away from living in those multi-generational households a bit more, but they're still very involved in your life. And like, even though I'm not married to an Indian guy, like, my parents are still very involved in my life, more so than his side of the family is involved in our life, and that's just, that's just what they're used to, they're used to being that level of involvement is always there, and that's actually something, like, we have to, like, his grandfather sometimes um because it's, like, we're just so used to it, and, like, if we go places or if we're um, you know, there's like a baby shower and we're going to stay at like a family, like a cousin's house. And there's like 20 people staying in the house and we're trying to figure out where everyone's going to sleep. She's like, oh, oh, I'll go stay in a hotel. Um, and everyone looks at her like, are you crazy? Like, you're not going to stay in a hotel. Like we don't stay in hotels. Like we all figure it out and you will get the prime bed because you are the elder of our family and one of the elders of the family now. And so it's kind of just like a general, like it's, I don't know how to, if I'm explaining it correctly, but it's just like, it's family versus the individual, even when you're a couple. You're explaining it very well. And I think you're absolutely right regarding being able to like separate the two. And I think there is so much health and beauty in that as well. I think at times, like I did an episode on the podcast called Eldest Daughter Syndrome, but out of like the toxicity that's perpetuated in that, you know, being responsible and parentified, there's beauty in it as well. There's being able to have like this protective nature of having an elder sibling who's there for you 
when it doesn't bleed into the toxicity. Um, another question that I had regarding the group was, I know you both created the group and you're admins of the group. If the group already existed while both of you were going through your, you know, the initial phases of your relationship, how do you feel like that would have benefited both of you? Because you created this to have, you know, relatableness and a platform of support. Can you speak on that a little bit? I think for me, and, and this is what I try to do in the group, like just other people to say like, yeah, it's tough. Real, it's really tough right now, but like, it will be okay. Right. Like I had such a straight up traumatic start to my relationship, but kind of, like I said before, like we seem like a normal family now, like whatever normal is right. Air quotes, but it would have been really beneficial for me to have like an older sister or someone to say like, I know it's tough. I know what you're going through, but it will be okay. Here's my example. And that's, you know, that's one of the many reasons Deepa started the Instagram is to start normalizing our relationships with people who aren't South Asian and to give all these gossiping aunties and uncles, like a, a literal image and a little descript, a literal description of a successful, happy, healthy relationship with mm-hmm. someone from a different culture. I agree. Like when that would have been the same for me. It just, it would have given me an example and even something like I don't recommend anyone showing the group to their parents. Please don't do that. But like just the Instagram account, like it gives something that you can literally show to your parents if you want to and be like, look, the world did not burn. Their families did not crumble. They weren't ostracized from society. Like it worked out and it can work out. And I feel like because so many, like it's, they just haven't seen it. So many families just haven't seen it. It's not as prevalent. And if it is, for some reason, it's being hidden or they're not talking about it. And I feel like the more families start talking about their kids who are not with South Asian people, the more other parents will start to realize like, oh, my, like my kid too. Like, yeah, like it's crazy. Like they met here and there and now they're doing this and like, good for them. And it just kind of creates like familiarity the more you talk about it and the more exposure it gets and less it becomes less scary and that's what the group is really it's just showing you that it's there are people in your situation you are not alone and that's what the Instagram is for it's for people who um, are willing to go public sort of we have like 200 followers right now please follow us um (laughs) I love I love the plugin that was awesome um but it's just it's there for people who need the example to show someone that like it works and we're not alone and this isn't crazy and this is sort of a trend in our community anyways like I go home now for like garbas and like Navratri and stuff Diwali in my hometown and my husband is not the only white guy in the room like there's other dudes trying to figure out how to garba with everybody Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is also speaks a little bit to your um, social, the other social media platform you have, Rabia, about why is it so important to have representation? And because, you know, people, what you're saying is so right. Like, how can you navigate a relationship that you've never seen around you? If you are the first person in your family to date outside of your ethnicity, and you've never seen it be successful, instead, you've seen it more ridiculed that, oh, you're probably going to be the one girl who like, you know, dates that black guy you're going to be that one girl who dates that like white guy you're going to try to be different 
and this kind of stigmatism and negativity put in, you will never know what the relationship, what those relationships could be like because you don't see a trajectory. Like, is this just a phase of life? Is there a possibility? Is this okay? Is this just what black sheeps do? You know what I mean? Like representation is so strong. It strongly impacts people to be able to take chances on their own happiness that just might not look typical within their community. Oops, sorry for that uh, little bit of an abrupt ending, but uh, to let you guys know, there is a part two to this episode. We talked about so much um, the first time around that unfortunately I couldn't squeeze it all in one episode. So for next week, you'll have part two of um, the South Asian women in interracial relationships with both the co-founders. I'm so glad you guys tuned in this week to listen to part one. Please drop us a follow on Instagram and a like or a heart on this video, depending what platform you heard this on all the links of both the co-founders Rabia and Deepa will be in the description below so yeah stay tuned for next week follow us email us and we'll see you then soon have a great one